view of heaven. Good job, Jeremy. Okay, so um, this morning we are still going through Matthew. <laughs> and we have made it all the way to chapter 22. <laughs> on our way to Easter. We're several weeks into Lent when we get to this parable. So our passage this morning is Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And it says, Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. So how do you picture heaven? When I was a little girl, I my picture of heaven was something that actually only existed on TV. I think I actually saw it as a show once. And it was this city all made of candy. And it rained candy. And then, I have to describe it in this way, everyone had baskets that I'm going to call Easter baskets. And they had these baskets to collect the candy. As I grew older, my vision of heaven morphed. And as I grew older, my vision of heaven was uh, these perfectly manicured 
extremely short grass, allergen-free <laughs> soccer fields that just went on as far as the eye could see. And they didn't have to be kept up, and there were people there all the time to play soccer, and it was just one really long, endless game of soccer. And I would have to say that when I think about when I think about my picture of what heaven is now, I would say it's probably it's still being developed. But one of the newer thoughts as an adult self was when I was a student at Trevecca and I went to a class with Tim Green and, and he said, uh, he talked about the kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, like a train. And maybe we'll get a train here in a moment. And you'll notice how long it takes for a train to come by. And once the train is here, he would talk about, uh, when a train arrives in a station, it's there, but a lot of it's not there yet, too. And it was this picture of this already but not yet vision of the kingdom of heaven. And then um, my vision, my picture of heaven was formed further when I read this book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. And in this book about the great divorce, there are these, this group of people who are in hell, and they take the daily bus to heaven. And um, when they get out of the bus, they... The sun is so bright that it hurts their eyes. They have become almost like shadows. And so when they walk on the grass, the grass goes right through their feet and it hurts their feet and it hurts their eyes to be in heaven. They weren't used to the realness and the harshness of that kind of realness. And so it was painful for them. As the stories have started to accumulate over the years, living here in this neighborhood and getting to experience a life formed around this vision of wanting to see how the kingdom of heaven can break into our lives and our city and our world, stories have started to accumulate and they have also formed my picture of heaven. And there's this one story of this woman who showed up at a community event and was just so thankful for what was happening there. She took the earrings out of her own ears and she gave them to Deirdre. And Deirdre received those earrings as a, the, the gift and the generosity that she gave in gratitude to God. And Deirdre became the recipient of this gift to God. And those those earrings have become for me an image, an image of the kingdom where we get to participate when we receive any gift that someone offers to God. And the kingdom of heaven has uh, has gone on further. I, when I think back and I think about pictures, I actually think uh, about Carl. I think about you. And there's a picture of the first time we met Carl at St. Patrick's Day party we threw and he has on a green hat and uh, and I just think about how 
the seeds of small hospitality can grow into such a large mustard seed bush. And then I also think about um, our first neighbor across the street from us. When we lived on Vivelle, his name was John. And um, he, we would go over to his porch and we'd sit on his porch. And he would, in his own words, warp our minds with his, uh, his gadgets that he had. He, he had these coffee pots he would always bring out to show us to warp our minds with. He would take us to his backyard where he would show us these tomatoes that he were growing. Uh, he called them tree tomatoes. I'm not even sure that that's a thing. Is that a thing? He called them tree tomatoes. Maybe it's like a, means it's another name for it. But uh, he would warp our minds with these tree tomatoes and we would sit on his front porch. Literally, you'd have to sit there for hours because there was no other way to do it. And I remember, I remember telling Caleb one time, you know, I think all that I want to do in ministry is sit on John's front porch. <laughs> because it seemed to me that that was, more like the front porch of heaven of anywhere I had ever been. <clears throat> the prophets dreamed about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven coming in so many rich images. If we just take a little detour through the book of Isaiah, we get so much good imagery. At the beginning, in chapter 2... He starts out, In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. The nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither, neither shall there be war anymore. And then if we move on to chapter 11 in Isaiah, he starts to talk about how nature responds to this kingdom. He says, The wolf shall lie with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion and the ox, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. The wean child shall put its hand on the adder's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So many good images. I'm going to read one more for us this morning. On, in chapter 25, 
On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make a feast of rich food for all people. A feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with the marrow of well-aged wines strained clear. He will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over the people, the sheet that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have been waiting for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord rests on the mountain. So the kingdom of God, this picture of heaven, whether it be candy land or soccer fields as far as the eye can see, or trains coming into the station, or earrings, or front porch porches, or pictures of lions and lambs, of guns being turned into garden tools, of no more tears. And then we get to this, this parable in Matthew where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in a very particular way. He talks about the kingdom of heaven and compares it to a wedding feast that a king throws for his son. And the kingdom of heaven uh, is this, this party. And you have to understand, Matthew, more than Luke, exaggerates this parable. For Luke, it's all about this generosity of the king. Uh, Chelsea sent me this beautiful Rain for Root song about this parable, but I'm sure it was based on Luke's version of this parable. It's all about inviting in everyone and going out into the streets and filling the king's house, and it's just this beautiful picture of inclusivity and generosity, and I wish that we were in Luke's version of the parable for this week, but we are not. We are in Matthew's, and there are some troubling pieces to Matthew's parable. First off, Matthew tells us that some of the guests that had been invited killed the servants that the king had sent. And that in retaliation, the king sends his troops to kill those murderers and to burn their city. It's a little bit troubling. Second, Matthew tells us that the servants uh, have brought in everyone off of the streets, the good and the bad. But the king immediately, when he walks in the room, sees only the man who has not put on the right shirt. He walks up to that man and decides this man must be thrown out because of this fashion, this fashion problem that we have. He hasn't worn the right style of shirt, so we're going to throw him out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is going on here? Is God really like this? Burning a city and killing people because of a wedding invitation rejection? 
Does God really just notice those who haven't worn the right clothes and throw them out for such a minor offense? These extreme parts, responses in this parable are kind of shocking. Luke doesn't include any of these. Burning a city, killing people. Matthew really wants us to understand that the extreme nature of these offenses. But what do they mean? What are they trying to say? So if you guys are familiar with parables, a parable is kind of a certain genre of literature. It is a story that starts out normal and then changes. And so the ending is shocking because it's changed right in the middle and it's suddenly not the same as the normal world and it's, it's shocking you into a new reality. But this parable is actually fits a different genre of, of literature more than that of a parable. So most, uh, most biblical scholars believe that this is actually more of an allegory than a parable. And so um, if you think of it like an allegory, there are several pieces. The wind is strong today. Um, there, are, there are several pieces. Um, so you have this king uh, who is God. You guys are familiar with allegory. One thing means something else. So the king is God. The son is the eternal son of God. And the feast is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven that the, all these people are being invited into. The servants who have been sent out to remind the guests that the party is today, which would have been normal for a king to do, uh, represent the prophets. And then the people that they have been sent to are the Jews, the people who have already accepted the invitation, who said that they're going to come to the party. But the Jews have now refused. They have, some of them killed the prophets, and now the king has sent his troops to destroy their city. Most scholars believe that this is actually referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So these verses were added after the fact. <laughs> And then, finally, the second set of servants, the ones that go out, they're the Christian missionaries. They're the ones who go out and invite the good and the bad into the house. And finally, the man who was thrown out for not wearing the wedding attire is the Christian who doesn't change their life into the baptismal robe of salvation, that they don't live into this new life and this new calling that they have been invited into. But there is something that we miss in this parable when we hear it through our own like cultural ears. See, if, if someone said no to your wedding invitation or your child's wedding invitation, you know, it might be like, ah, uh, okay, it's a bummer you can't make it. If, this is not like uh, your buddy inviting you to tacos and you're like, maybe next time, man. Like, it's not that kind of rejection. It's it's not like, oh, that's cool, catch you later. In our day of untrustworthy event responses, you know what I mean? 
uh, willingness to break commitments at the last moment, and a general lack of correlation between people's word and their presence. It may be hard to see that this wedding invitation when it's turned down, is seen as a blatant act of mutiny against the king. It is a rebellion to turn down this wedding invitation. And it's kind of like when we call ourselves Christians and we say that we align with this kingdom but then we don't receive the invitation to love our enemies, to pray for those who hate us, to love our neighbor as ourself, to forgive, to take care of the orphan and the widow. See, this invitation of the king isn't without strings. It's not a passing opportunity. This is about allegiance. Allegiance is at stake in this invitation and also, also, not to be discounted, the banquet is prepared. The fattened calf has been slaughtered and there is steak. So steak is at stake in this invitation. Allegiance is at stake and not to be discounted, steak is at stake. So, I have to admit that this week has been, for me, an extremely long week. We are uh, planning, getting ready uh, for today, for service this morning, for the family meeting later today. Um, we're working on planning the next few months of the practice out. I have marketing projects that I'm managing. Uh, I'm volunteering at Story School and trying to figure out how to help some of these kids. I'm, um, I'm doing all of these things and then in every spare moment there is a conversation about a washing machine or a door and then there's me running to pick up things off of Facebook marketplace for free that might fit our space and then there's uh, just stopping for an extra 30 minutes because there's a sale at West Elm on fair trade sheets um, so every spare moment uh, is being spent poured into this project that we are trying to complete uh, at our house so that we can get this short-term rental at our house up and running. So every spare moment is being poured into that. And then on top of that, every single day this week, I've had a headache in the middle of the day. It starts like around 10 and then it goes away at like, you have that too? Is that like a seasonal thing? A stress thing for me. A stress thing. Okay. <laughs> that one makes sense. Um, okay. So then there's that. And it's been a, just a super stressful week. And I really wanted to stop and I really wanted a break. And I really wanted to admit, but I, or to rest, but I have to admit that when it came to Friday night and I could start to smell the steak of Saturday Sabbath, man, it felt like everything in me was resisting this. There is so much to do. There is so much that needs done. I would have every reason in the world to say, you know what, not this week. Not this week. There's so much 
to do. And you know, it's kind of like Moana. Sometimes my phone, it calls me. And it doesn't stop calling as long as the phone is on. I think sometimes working is our temptation for mutiny. And Sabbath is the invitation to the thing that we actually want. I don't think it is a coincidence that the writer of Hebrews talks about the kingdom of God in the terms of Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4.9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from God's. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following there the people of Israel in the desert. Example of disobedience. So on Friday night, painfully, I turned off my phone and I went to bed and I slept in, which is a small miracle when you have kids. And had a really good Sabbath. We went to the zoo yesterday morning, and then I we went outside and we played with our neighbors. I played frisbee with one neighbor. Another neighbor gave my kids um, Reese peanut butter eggs. Another neighbor I talked to about being at the zoo earlier that day. And I took a nap and I stopped, and I. started to enjoy the life I was working so hard to earn and finally just received it. And amazingly, uh, receiving was enough and my body thanked me. It was the first day all week that I didn't have a headache. See, accepting the invitation to the kingdom of God means reordering our lives so that we can be formed into that kingdom. One commenter of this passage said this, To come into the church in response to the gracious and altogether unmerited invitation of Christ and not to conform one's life to that mercy is to demonstrate spiritual narcissism so profound that one cannot tell the difference between the wedding feast of the Lamb of God and happy hour at the bus station bar. See, it's not about the invitation. The invitation is out there. It's common. It's so common. It's as common as churches in Nashville. It's as common as the name Kaleo. Well, okay, that's not so common, but maybe it sounds common to you. At the very end when it says, many are called, but few are chosen, that word called is the word Kaleo, which is also one of the root words for ekklesia, the Greek word for church. It is common. The call has been sent. Many are called. Many are kaleoed. The stake is ready. 
And you get to choose, Matthew reminds us, between steak and the burning city, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew doesn't use watered-down images for what this uh, experience of mutiny results in. It's not even practical that a king could burn a city during a wedding banquet. The time just isn't there. It's hyperbole. It's showing how it's not easy to say yes. Sometimes it's easier to pick a fight than it is to eat a steak. Some would rather get thrown out than properly prepare, and some would rather keep their freedom than their commitments. The journey to this kingdom can be full of loss and pain and wonder. It's not a sure thing. It's a kingdom that it's not fully here yet. We still have to wonder about what it looks like. We still have to welcome it from afar. We still have to search it out. We still have to pray, your kingdom come. We still have to live into our response to the calling on this uncertain journey. And this kingdom can be painful for our shadow selves who aren't used to the realness of the grass and the brightness of the light in this kingdom. This posture of yes to the king of our lives will require something from us. But this invitation is really good. This is an amazing party. The party of the universe, you might say. And it's what our souls crave. And there's good food there. And there is Sabbath rest there. And there are so many who are invited. There were those who were invited early. There were those who were invited late. There were those who were good. And there were those that were bad. There were those who accepted. And there were those who declined. There were those who violently declined. And there were those who peaceably declined. There were those who accepted but didn't change their lives and were ultimately separated out. And then there were those who, who accepted that shared in the king's joy. All are kaleoed, all are called, all are invited. But the turn in this parable is this, that all are called, but some are chosen. And the chosen the chosen are the ones like our forefather Abram and our foremother Sarai who were at the start of this chosen family of God. They're chosen not because they're good, not because they're special, not because they came to the party dressed up, but because when they were called, when the, they received the invitation, they go. 
They leave their homeland and their people and they go to a country they don't know. A country that they can only wonder what it looks like. One that will ultimately end up changing who they are. They have to put on a new name, a new land, a new identity, a new reality, a new kingdom. The chosen. Those like the people of God in Egypt who cry out to God under their hard labor and become the chosen people of God to carry God's law into the promised land are not chosen because they are good. They're not chosen because they are special or because they came to the party dressed up. But because when they were called, when they received the invitation, they go. They leave the land they know and brought, walk bravely through these chaotic waters. They go to a place they do not know, a country, one that can only wonder what it looks like. It requires in them a change of name, a change in land, a new identity, a new reality, a new kingdom. The chosen, those like the disciple Matthew, who sits at a tax booth doing accounting, become the chosen disciple of Jesus to write this gospel not because he was good, not because he was special, not because he was ready for what was about to happen, but because when he was called, when he received the invitation, he went. He left his home, he left his career, he left the control and the power that he had, and he followed a man that people could only wonder who he was. It required a change to who he was, a putting on of a new name, a new land, a new identity, a new reality, a new kingdom. The chosen, those that Matthew is telling us that Jesus is talking about aren't chosen because they are good. They aren't chosen because they are special. They aren't chosen because they were ready for what's about to happen. But they are chosen because when they are called, because when they receive the invitation, they come. They leave their busy schedules and their regular activities, their desired freedoms, and they show up to the feast and let the celebration and the party and the new name and the new land and the new identity and the new reality, this new kingdom, they let it change their garment. They let it change the way they look and the way they act and what they value and who they are. In the parable at the beginning of this three parable set, Jesus asked the religious leaders, he tells them this story, he says, a man sends his two sons to his vineyard. It echoes back to what Caleb preached about last week, about the vineyard being for the workers and not the workers for the vineyard. He sends his two sons to the vineyard, and the first son says, I won't go, but then he did. And the second son says, I'll go, but then he didn't. And he asked the religious leaders, who did the will of the father. And they said, the first son. 
And Jesus replies, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Because it's not about your RSVP. It's not about saying yes. It's about doing yes. It's about living with a posture of yes to the king of our lives. It's not about our RSVP. It's not about saying yes. It's about doing yes and living with a posture of yes to the king of our lives. Where is God calling? Where is God's kingdom coming? I wonder. Can you hear the invitation? Can you smell the steak? Will you join the feast? Let's pray. God of celebration, who prepares a feast and invites all. May you help us receive the things that you are calling us into, though they may be hard, with gladness and joy recognizing this is for the good of our souls. This is what we ultimately crave. That these steps forward are worth the journey. Amen. Amen.